ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek, 5 foot 11, 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous, 5 foot 11, 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. And we're back with exciting news. Yes, we are now professional. We have a sponsor for the show, which is awesome for us, but even more awesome for you. Indeed, because who doesn't love a sweet, sweet online shopping discount code? And in this case, it's an online shopping discount code that gets you delicious coffee delivered to your doorstep. From our good friends, Prism Coffee, who are four Canberra lads who I've known for a while. Uh, who've all worked in and around the specialty coffee industry for some time now and now uh, out on their own they've got a roaster they're roasting beans uh, and just generally kicking ass with delicious coffee so john how do the people get this amazing discount you speak of go to their website which is prismcoffee.com.au pick from the couple of different blends and some single origins that they've got. You can get it ground, you can get it in whole beans if you prefer to grind your own. They've got all of the options. Uh, and then you use the code PEAKSPEAK in the discount bit of the shopping cart and uh, you'll get a sneaky 10% off and it'll rock up on your doorstep in some amount of time. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I think they express post everything, so hopefully quickly. Perfect. Amazing. And well, that's it. Without further ado, here's, here's the episode. Yeah. Enjoy. Presented by Thomas Lilly and John Sheridan, Baby Cry in the Background, not included. Record on that. Burp on that. Uh, all right, we're back for another episode of Burp Speak. Burp Speak. Yeah, that's great. That's um just, just what our listeners wanted to hear. High def audio of Thomas burping. I have to say, this new house of yours, the lighting, not as good. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, if I spin around where I'm sitting. Let me do one of these ones. Oh, yeah, and you sit behind the window instead of, yeah. Yeah, I could just close. That's better. I could just close the blinds. Yeah, no, that's way better. Mm. It's like a different person. Still just as ugly, just a different person. Uh, Now I get buddy. I'm way more interested in that view than I am of the other view. (laughs) Buddy. No, not interested. Not interested at all. Yeah, Huxley has developed a uh, a real attachment to me in the house that means he refuses to be anywhere other than like one foot from me at all times (laughs) in my house. And my house is not big. And And he uh, is. He is large. Uh, And yeah, I have nearly eaten shit falling over my dog several times in the last couple of weeks. At uh, least if you stumble back over Huxley, you kind of just sit on him and, and like box squat back up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he's, but he's a little ninja that like runs between your feet and hides behind you and really silent. Like, yeah. it's, a, it's a good thing about this house. Everything is those floating floorboards. So when he walks around, it's super loud. Yeah, you can so, hear him. Yeah, you yeah. can hear him from a mile away. 
Yeah, I've definitely nearly kicked a cat or two across the room in our house because they have a habit of like walking between your feet when they want to be fed. I've like, yeah, properly booted one or two of them before. Buddy, Buddy gets punted all the time when he comes to the gym because he'll lie down at the foot of the bench when people are benching. So they, <laughs> yeah. they don't realize he swooped in and then they'll get up and do like their big fling yeah, yeah. their feet off and he just gets punted Oof. away. <laughs> Excellent. That's fantastic. <laughs> Um, so here we are again. What's happening in Queensland? You were comp day coaching at Valhalla yesterday. Yeah, big day at Valhalla yesterday. Uh, had several lifters, so shout out to all of them. They all crushed it. Excellent. Um, big T Hardy gave us all a heart attack by squatting really high his first two attempts. Ah, that's a <laughs> but, classic ruse. <laughs> but he got got his third attempt gra- grounded out uh, and and uh, got the new all time. Uh, uh junior squat record in the 110s nice so, so he did well it's that's a good that's a really good way to like put it all on the line right get yeah. to a position where either you do it or you don't yeah no he uh he, he was feeling feeling a bit rough he got gastro uh, about a week ago and had a rough week leading into the comp which is always nice yeah gross um but yeah every, everyone did really well it's a good day it's good fun day uh queensland is has gone horribly humid like in the last two days and it's not uh, not very welcome it's not conducive to competing in powerlifting you're doing the same thing that i was having a discussion with one of the guys at the gym today about competing in equipped powerlifting in summer like equipped powerlifting is really a winter sport mm-hmm. <laughs> or it should be because this just the swelling alone that you get from being a little bit overweight, stuffing yourself into a tight polyester suit, jacking your blood pressure up and then getting sweaty as fuck just mm. makes like putting your bench shirt on really unpleasant. Yeah. It's a nasty combo. I've, it is. Uh, I've made a pact to never run another comp in January, February, and maybe March. So historically, I've always had a comp in January and a comp in February this this next year, I'm definitely not doing it. Yeah, not, no. not even from a lifter's perspective, like from running the meet. It yeah, it's just miserable. Sucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I am. Um, we generally do like December, uh, and then we kind of have a break until about late March, sort of April is is when we do our first uh, GPC comp, and occasionally we'll throw a novice comp in like towards the end of February. But I find in Canberra, like because a lot of Canberra's public servants or close relations of public servants, there's this sort of shutdown period in Canberra that happens from like right before Christmas to like the middle of January mm. where just no one's around. And so if we do anything over January or even early February, we often just don't get anywhere near the turnout that I think is more to do with the fact that a lot of people go away and, and do stuff like that. So I kind of bank on the idea that, you know, especially a lot of our GPC lifters will do December and then uh, sort of have a, a, not a break completely, but obviously a, a slightly less intense training period over the Christmas New Year period and then still have a, a solid prep to fit in after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the uh, benefits of, of summer and it getting a little bit hotter is that uh, now if you uh, use the code PEAKSPEAK, you can uh, get some coffee and have a delicious iced coffee in the morning rather than a hot one. Yeah, or you can do cold brew. I, I'm a cold brew fan. Uh, I Mostly because I'm lazy, but cold brew, you can just like... Uh, I've done it with like basically a whole bag. I forget the ratio of coffee to cold water, 
but you just grind it like really coarse like you would for like a pour over coffee. I then just dump it in a Tupperware container with cold water, give it a stir and then leave it in the fridge for like 24 hours uh, and then come back and just filter it. Uh, so I've just got like a pour over filter that I just run it through. And um, that gives you several liters of delicious cold brew that is then just ready to go that you can just get out of the fridge and drink. Uh, if you want, yeah, if you want to be real techie, you make cold brew and then you make ice cubes out of cold brew because then what you do is put the cold brew ice cubes in your cold brew, mm. which means that your cold brew doesn't it stays extra cold but doesn't get diluted. Amazing. Science, bitches. <laughs> You heard it here first. Use Prism Coffee Co. Yes, the code is peak speak, which I'm pretty sure is what Thomas meant to say <clears> there, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> I said it before. Oh, yeah, sure you did. Okay. Anyway, we're actually uh, kind of talking about peaking today. So it is kind are. of actually peak speak. Yes. You know what's funny? I thought about, I saw um, uh, Johnny B. Bad and, and Brandon Greco have a, have a podcast now called The Platform. Yes. Um, and he's put the platform podcast logo on their t-shirts. And then I was thinking, you know, we've always spoken about, let's do some Peaks Peak t-shirts and we've never actually done them. Um, and then I thought about our logo, how it's Peaks Peak in a burger. <laughs> Just thought, we've, we've never actually spoken about the fact that originally we were like yeah we like burgers we'll incorporate that into the podcast and it just ends up yep. being the logo and that's it <laughs> yeah so i i had a discussion with my uh partner and my brother the other day who were in the kitchen made some joke about them not listening to my podcast and uh i was like oh, i don't need you to actually listen to it i just need you to go onto apple and download it every time it comes out i don't like <laughs> i don't give a shit if you listen to it or not and he opens up his podcast thing. He's like, why is the logo a burger? <laughs> and, I, and I was like, oh, well, we just like burgers. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that was about it. That was great. Yeah, burgers, <laughs> which is unrelated to today's topic, which how, is. Yeah, pizza. how did we get onto today's topic? Well, because we're the most organized people in the history of podcasting. Uh, this morning when I came to the gym, I was having a discussion with uh, a woman who is competing at uh, Canberra Cup, which is the first weekend in December here. Um, uh, this is her first sanctioned powerlifting meet. She's done a couple of novice comps mm -hmm. uh, and probably the first one that she's like put a long and uh, significant training block into that isn't just like, you know, that sort of beginner phase of just getting better at lifting. This is like a legitimate, I've had to really work hard for this training block. And uh, about four weeks ago, when she sort of started drifting into the the sort of heavy doubles and singles phase of training, uh, she said, oh, like everything's feeling great. Uh, all the weight's feeling really good. I'm like hitting numbers that are very close to PBs comfortably. Like I'm not scared. You know, it's all really good. And I said, yep, cool. Chill. Like we're not going to add any weight. She was like trying to talk about like maybe adding some weight to things. I said, no, no, no like it's cool. We're just going to ride this out. Cause in like three or four weeks, you're going to start to feel real shit. And you're going to get that phase that is now a, a universal experience for most powerlifters uh, of that sort of pre competition slump that happens, you know, two to four weeks out from a powerlift you made, depending on who you are and, and that sort of thing. And, um, and anyone who's competed hard has definitely experienced this more than once. And she was like, oh, okay, and, and kind of walked away. And we, we didn't adjust anything in terms of numbers. And uh, this morning, she was like, oh, yeah, you were right. 
and she was pretty convinced that she was unique and it wasn't going to happen to her and just kind of brushed mm. it off as this thing that wasn't real. And then this morning she came into squat and was like, yeah, no, it, it it's real. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it, like, it, it definitely is real and it feels miserable. And I said, just so you know, next week's really going to suck. <laughs> like mm. if, if this week already feels shitty, next week's really going to be unpleasant. But hey, you're almost there. And uh, yeah, I, I know we've touched on this as an idea before, um, but I think it's one that's important to discuss because I think a lot of people don't, based on the number of conversations I have with people about this, I think a lot of people don't understand maybe the process or, or why they're feeling like that, or perhaps even understand that it's part of the process. And it can be quite confronting if you're not ready for a, a week or two of like mm. really feeling like garbage right before a meet when you're trying to feel confident and ready and prepared and all of those sort of things it can really catch you unawares and then potentially screw up your competition performance so i think it's definitely worth talking about yeah for sure i mean like that uh, uh as a lifter that emotional response you have to it is always or almost always going to override any logic that you have like you can listen yeah. to this stuff uh you can you can know it all uh but when you're going through it it's really hard to shut that voice up and uh, i mean like i'm i'm kind of in it right now i'm peaking for a comp and on the same day yeah within within three to six weeks of the comp it's kind of the window of time you know uh week six week week six five four three you should know pretty well exactly what you're going to hit on the day if not, your coach should know pretty well exactly what you're going to hit on the day. If not, you know, spot on, you should have a very, very close ballpark of, of what you're yeah, going to hit on the day. A couple of percent either side. Yeah. And so when you're, when you're getting close and you're running through these peaking sessions um, and you miss a lift or a lift is harder than you're expecting, you're like, oh, fuck, maybe, maybe that ballpark I'm thinking is way too high. Oh, yeah. no. You know, and it, it can it can really rock you. And I'm, I'm getting that right now. Like going from uh not lifting equipped to lifting equipped in sort of the last eight weeks the shift in the amount of weight that i'm sticking on my back has just been way too much for my upper back to handle and so my arms are cooked i can, I can they're getting really really messed up i've had to skip a few bench sessions last week i unracked my top set of squats and i had to put it back it's, it, my arms were just i felt like they were going to snap off so i didn't do it and so now i'm like oh the squat that i wanted there's, there's no way i'm that it, and it's literally just arm pain like yeah. The deload the de into the comp, it's it's going to disappear. It's not going to yeah. be there at all and I'm going to be fine. Um, but now it's like eating at me. It's like, can you even do this thing? Should you even bother? <laughs> is it? And the other thing I'm scared of is I'm, it's, a, it's a walkout comp, right? So I'm using yeah. a combo rack. I'm like, if I go down with a squat, am I willing to accept the responsibility of dropping a bar and it landing on one of my spotter's feet? Yeah. I, and so I'm right now. I'm seriously considering switching the Elico rack that I'm going to use to the monolift just so there's slings there. Yeah. Uh, because there's there's a very real possibility that I let go of 400 kilos or something like that. You know, near, yeah, near enough to it. That like there has been a few squats like that Spiros and the Pro Raw team have caught that have been like 400 plus dumped off the back. But those that caliber of spotting team, because it's not just one person, it's the whole team, mm. that's really hard to come by. Yeah. And like you said, that responsibility as a responsible lifter and meat promoter, like you understand that that's on you, not just because you're the lifter, but also because you're in charge of the meat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's, there's lots of these creeping thoughts coming in and, it, and it's making me want to, you know, put, put on the brakes a little bit. And I think... Um, 
you know, where I'm ultimately going to keep coming back to in this conversation is the fact that when you are, when you're balls deep into your peak, you're already as strong as you're going to be. Yeah. Like you're not, you're not going backwards at this stage, provided that you're not doing anything too stupid. Uh, And so, you know, having a few bad sessions, having a few sessions where things aren't feeling, that's normal. That's okay. You're not, you're not going to just magically lose all your strength. And I think those irrational thoughts around like everything's going backwards i'm not going to perform is what creeps in and that can really take hold and if you tell yourself a story enough times you're going to start to believe it right yeah exactly and i think that's where maybe having a better understanding of the process that's going on there and like why you're feeling like this because i mean you and i understand it as both a part of life from a coaching standpoint, but a part of life from a lifting standpoint as well, because we've both been in it for mm. long enough to to know with good uh, good authority that it's coming, regardless of whether you think it is or not. So I think from our standpoint, we, we sort of have a, a level of knowledge that is perhaps more than the average and therefore maybe we assume people understand some of these things without perhaps mm. unpacking it properly. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit about why you might be feeling like these things and sort of the training ideas behind that. And then we can go into perhaps some ideas around what you can do to mitigate and manage these feelings and yeah, get the most out of it. Mm. Yeah. I suppose the biggest thing is coming back to asking the question of, of what is the purpose of peaking? Like what yeah. is actually happening in this last three to four weeks? Um, and understanding that is really going to help you wrap your head around this if things aren't going 100% to plan. So uh, it's it's practice, it's skill. Uh, peaking is the art of it of uh, you know developing or honing in the skill to express your strength in a, in a very specific way. Um, so another way of looking at that is in this period of time while you're peaking, you're not getting any bigger, you're not getting any stronger. Like yeah. uh, like I just mentioned before, the strength you have at this point is the strength you're going to have so with that notion with with the notion of practice being you know the the key of peaking it's fucking okay to mess up it's okay to have shit sessions it's okay to have sessions where you misgroove a lift where you touch the wrong spot on your chest where you don't hit depth in a squat because that's the whole point of these last few weeks is to practice that skill look at it in any other context you're coming to a piano recital when you're practicing in your living room at home it's okay to fuck up the song because you're not doing the recital just yet, right? It's okay to mess up your lifts at this point in time. Uh, but the mindset should be, okay, I'm in practice mode now. I can practice this and make it better. I have opportunities to get better at this. Not, oh, I messed up that opportunity. Therefore, every opportunity from this point is going to be a mess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That that skill element is the thing that I think some people forget about being a really significant part of powerlifting. Like we spend so much time talking about getting bigger and getting stronger and understanding that the training that you're doing to get bigger and to get stronger is not actually conducive to expressing the skill, which is one rep max lifting, right? It's why if you're not a powerlifter, you don't necessarily have to spend a lot of time doing these sort of things. But for a powerlifter, it's probably the most important part of your training. You know, you can have a a really excellent two or three months of really consistent 
uh, and, you know, uh, really consistent training that is building momentum from week to week. And then it can all just go to complete shit by mistiming your peak or doing it in a way that doesn't hold on to those strength characteristics while developing the skill. I know I've definitely done that before. The um, I was telling you the story before, but the biggest deadlift I've ever hit, I pulled 282 and a half in the gym. It was like three weeks out from a meet, and I think I pulled 260 at the meet. Like, a, And it was a like a 27 and a half kilo PB at that point. Like I just, I shit the bed. Like I, I mistimed my deadlift peak. I was way stronger than I needed to be three weeks out because I just spent too long practicing and not enough time continuing to develop that strength in the two or three weeks prior. And that cost me a really good deadlift at the meet. Um, and, and I think it's very easy to take what for me had been a fucking excellent training cycle and completely ruin it by just mistiming things. Uh, so I think understanding that like, you don't have to be strong all of the time and that in order to express true strength on the platform or your full potential on the platform, you're going to have to go through this period where you're still holding a lot of fatigue from the training you've done to build the strength and you got to hold that fatigue for a little while so that you don't have that uh drop off in strength uh while you're what are we going to call it it's fitness i guess is the mm. right term uh your fitness is improving so your ability to express that strength is improving but you haven't held on to it for long enough to actually manifest it on the competition platform mm. yeah it's it's uh uh, it's kind of annoying when you're peaking because it's the one aspect of programming uh, that involves quite a lot of guesswork to, to a degree. So, for yeah. example, um, the, the way that I personally program uh, is always projecting forward. It's always like, okay, well, here is here is uh, you, you know your um, your number that we're developing percentages off or relating numbers back from. It doesn't necessarily mean that you want to max, but a number that you know we can work back from. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, sorry, that we can project forward from and we can modify that over time. When you come to a peak, it's the opposite. It's like, what numbers are we projecting to hit in the comp? And then how can we work back in a logical fashion so we can lay out a plan to practice and develop that skill over these last three to four weeks? Um, and so you, you kind of you kind of going into the unknown a bit. This is especially scary uh, when you are a lifter working with someone or doing your own thing that's trying something new for the first time. You know, so so as a coach with uh, several lifters that have been with me for you know years and years, my my peaking style hasn't changed a great deal. You know, it's gotten better, it's gotten more refined, but it's a very similar style that it always kind of yeah. has been. Um, and so. Uh, it becomes predictable and you know what to expect, you know what to feel. If you're used to peaking a certain way and you start working with a coach or you decide to change uh, the way you're going to peak, now you're going to this whole unknown zone at a very critical point in your training. It can be fucking scary. Yeah. Um, Trusting yeah. that process is really hard. 100%. Yeah. That idea of trust, exactly. And as your coach, that idea of, okay, now I have to sell my methodology to you. I have yeah. to sell my trust to you and convince you that this weird style of peaking that you're not used to, this, no, you're not maxing out on the Wednesday before the Saturday comp, uh, it's kind of scary for people who are used to doing things in a different way. And you have to yeah. convince them that, okay, well, you're going to have to put some trust and faith in me. You have, you're going to have to, uh, you know, exert some logic here and, and uh, you know, uh, 
digest the idea that, okay, well, if you don't max out every three days, you're not going to magically get weaker and go backwards. It's just simply not how strength works. It, it can be a scary uh, thing to undertake for sure. Yeah. And look, I've had the, um, the opposite experience as well in terms of, uh, like understanding that not or explaining to people that not every comp is important in terms of like a fully fledged push to be as strong as possible in terms of a, a yearly plan right uh so i was coaching someone recently and and we'd sort of done like a lot of uh powerlifters done like a you know a, a state level meet that was in order to qualify and put us in a good position for nationals um didn't need to hit like a particularly massive total like certainly didn't need to push any huge pbs in order to qualify just had to have a a moderately successful comp Mm. uh and so we used that as an opportunity to experiment with some things you know it was like we squatted with a slightly higher bar position like pulled conventional instead of sumo because at that point it was uh a chance to experiment with things for someone who'd been a powerlifter for some time uh and and had success uh it was an opportunity to experiment in a low risk environment you know this isn't going to cost him a place at nationals but this is instead just an opportunity so like one of the things we were doing was was like you know four days out from the meet he hit a single at like his you know last last squat warm-up and bench opener i think it's like oh i'm not used to like lifting that heavy close to a competition but so initially was a bit confronted by the idea, but then came into comp day feeling amazing and was like, okay, well, it worked out. It, it wasn't the the complete wrong path. It was maybe not optimal, but it was an interesting experiment. And I think having uh, the ability to emotionally detach from the idea that you have to hit a PB and have an all-time best competition at every competition you do uh can be helpful in giving you the opportunity to experiment with things like that Mm. uh giving you the opportunity to go from someone who's only ever had you know the better part of eight days off training completely to someone who is still lifting two days out from a comp you know that you know i'm I'm not saying go and hit your openers two days out but still coming in and moving and and perhaps playing with that idea of feeling different coming into the competition that they are the competitions that you can learn the most from i think because it gives you the opportunity to make the mistakes without it costing you a place at nationals or without it being the difference between you qualifying for a nationals and not uh so having like for lack of a better term, like a tune-up meet, right? This is your opportunity to experiment with things in an environment like that. I think they're really beneficial as well, but sometimes it's hard to remove the idea that every comp has to be better than the last one. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think a a scary thing about peaking um, is that people will peak a particular way and come into the next competition and be like, well... I didn't hit my best numbers at that comp. I'm going to change the way that I peak. Uh, yeah. And then keep doing that over and over and over, keep chopping and changing styles and never get any data as to, you know, the best way to peak for themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's the one thing, that idea of you uh, saying to experiment and have this tune up me. We've had the benefit of, of being able to do that without lifting. You know, we've been yeah, able yeah, yeah. to tune up tune-up meets by you know experimenting with different styles of peaks as we've learned yep. the best way that we find to peak 
with people develop it uh, over years and years and years. As a lifter yourself, you got to be careful that you're not chopping and changing too much to the point where uh, now you're uh, looking for experimentation for this, you know, this magical peaking style, um, ignoring the principles as you go, uh, and therefore just, you know, uh, willy nilly hoping that you do really well and not getting any data to go by. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing that I um, I think people forget from a coaching standpoint is that we have the opportunity to do all these experiments, not just in terms of like uh, individuals, like we can experiment with one person and two different ways of programming for that person, but with like a huge cohorts of the same type of person. Like we can have four different people who are all of about the same age in terms of training, about the same experience and strength levels and maybe try very slight manipulations of that same process. But like you said before, the way we do it and the principles that underpin what we're doing in this period haven't actually changed that drastically in the several years that we've been coaching at a reasonable level. You know, it's, it's not reinventing the wheel. It's just tweaking things as we go through. Hmm. The, the, the other thing that can be a bit of a mindfuck with it all is that people will often constitute a good comp as a good peak. Yeah. As in you performed well on the day, therefore you had a good comp. So they'll be like, well, I peaked this way and I only went six for nine. Uh, then I peaked this way and I went nine for nine, but I didn't hit any PBs. So maybe the six for nine was actually a better peak, but you picked goofy attempts on the day or you, uh, you know, the six for nine, you forget the fact that one of the missed lifts was your opener because you missed the squat call. One of your missed lifts, you just didn't set your grip right and you dropped the bar or something like that. You know, it, it, it can be really easy to, to forget uh, what, uh, what happened in that peak or in that competition and associate that to as to whether a peak was good or bad so yeah. i guess then how would you constitute a a good or a successful peak in your eyes i think it's so context dependent like a successful peak could be that you fucked a whole bunch of things up at the competition because we were experimenting with a different peaking style and the success was the experiment didn't work and we're going to change a bunch of things back to what we were originally doing. You know, that can be in the right context, a success. I think in terms of success, as you know, you probably meant it, um, (laughs) it's not necessarily always about hitting PBs, but I think it's about coming into the competition with enough confidence in your ability and a not inflexible plan but a pretty accurate uh, guide of where we're at based on what you've done in the peaking cycle mm-hmm. um i don't necessarily expect you to hit significant percentages over what you can hit in training versus in competition like i know cws used to talk about being consistently like seven and a half to eight percent over his training pbs in competition and i think that's fucking awesome but i don't think it's realistic for everyone consistently for every competition um but i think shooting for something where you're outstripping your competition sorry your training pbs but being still within the realms of like this it wasn't just a fluke you know like this is an accurate estimation based on where we've been in training in the the last few weeks again you and i are in a position to have a better like ranging scope for that um i know pretty comfortably what 
the bar speed of a, a good second attempt is going to look like. I know, like, I've just got enough experience, right, in seeing those things happen and those things unfold on the platform to, to know roughly what's going on there. From a lifting standpoint, though, I think coming into the meet feeling confident and relatively calm or as calm as one could be, knowing that the first two attempts for all three lifts are probably pretty secure in terms of knowing what you're going to hit and then the third one I generally base on what's happening on the day. We can have a pretty good idea of where that's going to be, but it's a case of playing that by ear at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I think that for me is all I all I need from a successful peak. I think the comp result itself is not necessarily completely separate to, but certainly slightly separated from whether the peak was a success or not for exactly the reason you said. I think you can have a fucking terrible comp after the greatest peak of your life and you can go the other way and have a really shitty peak and just have a fucking excellent day. Mm -hmm. And both of those things are very realistic options that can very easily be conflated into something that they weren't. Mm Yeah, this is where it gets complicated, right? Because, I mean, like, ultimately, for me, it's a little bit simpler than than what you laid out. I think all those things you you were saying were were important and should be attributes of a good peak, absolutely. Uh, But the... The, the, the primary end goal is a successful peak should be a peak that leads to you being the strongest when you need to be the strongest. Yeah. Um, the ability to express that strength, while it is the purpose of the peak to practice that skill, ultimately the ability to express that strength, that skill, is not something that you develop in three weeks. That's, no. that's a reflection of your training as a whole. And so you might not necessarily uh, have done all the right things in terms of ironing out the instabilities and the technical deficiencies that you have. And even though you are your absolute strongest on the day, when you put under the volatility of 100% of 105% of your uh, previous max lift or 110% of that, it might just go to shit. It might just, you know, you know, might not be able to override the technical instabilities that you have. And therefore that doesn't necessarily mean it's been a bad peak. It just means yeah. you've got more to work on before you can really express that strength in a better way. That's where it becomes tricky because again, if we, uh, you know, review someone's peak one year down the track and we don't take into account those small factors that we can't necessarily see because we're only looking at data on paper we're looking at their training block and the numbers that they hit at the end of it it's easy to forget that you know peaking doesn't necessarily encompass every single aspect of your training and so that's where it becomes a little bit scary a little bit volatile um and a little bit more complicated than just this is a good peak or this is a bad peak or or whatever there's a, there's a little bit more to it um, yeah exactly it's it's uh it's context right like so many of these questions that we've talked about over the last couple of years i think understanding the context with which you are viewing any of this data be it numbers on a spreadsheet or a discussion you're having with the person or a discussion you're having with yourself you know i think all of these things you need to remember that your training doesn't happen in isolation in this little vacuum that nothing else matters it happens as a human so there's all these other factors that go into uh, competition performance that are not always just a result or, or a sum of the parts of your training um, and I think there that's the thing that a lot of people forget is that not only is it like a reflection of perhaps the coach that you're working with or whoever's writing your programs 
but it's also then a reflection of your effort and consistency and your ability to bring everything to the table at the right time. And to be honest, I think that's kind of the cool thing about powerlifting, right? Is this idea that there are times in the year where you're not going to be at your strongest. You're going to be miserable under sets of 10 and just generally hating on everything. And then there's going to be times of the year where it all has to come to a head on one day. And I think for me as a coach, that's why I always value the idea of platform PBs more than I do gym PBs because there's a, the nature of a gym PB is it happens in this nice environment that you're generally comfortable with. It happens on a day that you're feeling good and if you're not feeling it, you can just kind of put it off for a day or two. You know, there, there's all these uh, factors that you can control in a much easier way in a gym PB than you ever can in a competition environment. And I think mm. that's where the value in, in competing comes in. 100%. 100%. It, it, it is the mark of like a, a good experienced competitor is that regardless of the, loco- the location, the time, the day, uh, the, they've trained in a way that's allowed them to then express their strength uh, at uh, you know upon recall at, at will you know they've, they've timed it right they've they've done all the right things and uh on top of that an experienced lifter is or experienced competitor is going to understand that their role on the day is not an emotional connection to certain numbers but their role on the day is to build the best total possible yeah take what's um, there and so you know coming back to the what what's what prompted this conversation in the first place uh, we do have an episode called Training Mindset, which is like one of our most downloaded episodes. So go back yeah. and find that. We go into this in depth. But coming back to what prompted this whole conversation around, you know, uh, you're coming into this comp and maybe things start feeling like they're not going the way that you're expecting them to. It's really easy to attach emotion to the numbers that you wanted and then stop focusing on what your body's capable at that point in time. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes if you make that mindset switch and you're like, okay, well, I was aiming for that 110 kilo bench, but I'm failing, you know, 107.5 in the gym. Maybe I'm only going to shoot for 105 in the comp. That's like five kilos difference. It's nothing, you know, mm. it's, it's not a, it's not a big difference. Your goal is to go into the comp and to put up the best numbers that you can put up at that specific point in time. And then you go beyond that is to work out, okay, why wasn't it where I wanted it to be? How can I make sure that next time I do go to compete, I'm better than I am before. It's really easy to get lost in the, lose your focus on what you're supposed to be doing by being caught up in the emotion of what you want to happen. Yeah, exactly. And I think we've talked about this sort of ad nauseum, this idea of being able to emotionally remove yourself from your training and competition results. Unfortunately, I'm yet to figure out a way to actually teach that in a repeatable way. I think it's it's unfortunately something you have to learn through making mistakes and failing. 100%. And to be honest, I, like I think there's a lot of value in that. I think that's the cool thing about powerlifting is like, in the scheme of things, it doesn't fucking matter that much. Uh, and so when you fail in powerlifting because you miss a lift because you just maybe got too excited or maybe you weren't excited enough or maybe something else happened and you need to refer back to your list of pre-prepared excuses that you start to post about four weeks out from your meet. Um but ultimately things happen and you will fail at some point. It is part of the process. And I think it can be a really powerful learning tool for understanding that like you're probably going to learn more from your failures and your shitty meets than you ever will from the good ones. And I think it's going to be a far more efficient teacher. I certainly learned way more from fucking that uh, peak up than I ever did the competition itself. 
I learned how, like I learned where my line is for like, I don't have enough volume to maintain my strength versus I'm just practicing here. Uh, and that then carried over into my coaching experience, right? They, this is a really powerful tool that I think sometimes people are a little bit too afraid of because of this emotional attachment to things. Mm. Uh, I completely understand it. I've been there. I've just managed to get past that through experience, but also having the ability to like be in a coaching position where I'm not emotionally attached to the numbers that my lifters are hitting. I'm realistic about what's there and what's realistic on the day. What is a realistic goal over a training cycle over a year, those sort of discussions that I'm all for shooting for big goals and, and big numbers and stuff like that. But at a certain point, someone in the equation has to be the realist and uh whether that's your coach or yourself or ideally a combination of the the two doesn't really matter as long as it happens awesome i don't, I don't know else to say. yeah i don't think there's much else to say to that to be honest i like it excellent that's, like us that's this. follow us all that stuff yeah. we used and to go into so much detail as to giving us five stars and saying our instagram names and everything like that yeah, I'm just unconvinced that actually makes any difference. Like I'm pretty it's sure one of the- once we say, I think that's all I have to say, I'm guessing most people are just like, okay, done, and turn it yeah, off. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things that everyone in like the Facebook, Instagram, YouTube world says, and I just am unclear on whether there's any actual science backing up the idea that telling people to like and share and comment and do all those things actually does anything. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe it does. Tell us in the comments, except there aren't any comments. I don't know how that works. Anyway. (laughs) Sweet. Talk to you next time. Bye.